we are back. Happy 2023. Ooh, it's been yeah. a while. Guess who's back? Back again. Kitty and Kate's <laughs> back. Tell your friends. <laughs> you practice that today? I love it. I it was it was either gonna be that or some uh form of backstreets back. All right. I was thinking that one. I was trying to figure out how we could jam slumber party cinema club into a two syllable space <laughs> okay um slumber party cinema club's back all right <laughs> there we go because um, that is a quintessential slumber party song and video to be played oh you yeah and i absolutely. both agree 100 and it's a halloween song don't at me or do no well not about that i'm right the end Kate, what have you been up to? The last time I think we talked to everyone was uh, pre-December, like right after Thanksgiving. No, it was right before Thanksgiving. And since then, I got a promotion slash new job at work. Uh, I got a new apartment in a new neighborhood. Yay. And um, I've just started my uh, capstone prep for my master's. So uh, lots of good fresh things to kick off the new year with. And I'm I'm okay. The, uh, yeah, convincing yeah that was we're, we're holding on it's okay yeah no you've got you've got lots of good stuff going on um your apartment's freaking awesome I've seen it I have not seen it with furniture in it yet but minus no, furniture but did, is pretty cool you you did help me pick out the apartment so thank you very much for your assistance because I am very that is like the best part of all everything I listed is truly I love I love where I live now yeah, I'm I'm excited to make my way over there and see it with uh with its setup. How about you, Katie? What's been going on with you? Oh, you know, not much. Uh mm, no, nothing. <laughs> so I guess this brings us to some of the reason why we decided to take a break. Hey guys, I got diagnosed with uh papillary thyroid carcinoma uh at the end of last year, which is um thyroid cancer. Ooh. So yeah, the audience noise. <laughs> so I think we might have mentioned when I had surgery back at the beginning of November. Um, so I got my right side of my thyroid taken out. And then they that's when they confirmed that there was cancer in my thyroid. And because of like the nature and the size and all this stuff of the cancer cells, they were going to have to remove the second part of my thyroid, which has happened, um, happened a couple weeks ago now. And, um, I am happy to say that in 2023, I am cancer free. Yay. Um, (laughs) Yay, So, so yeah, that was kind of, it was, it was the journey of a year that really like came to a climax in like November, December, and now thankfully it's mostly over aside from some like checkups and stuff, but to all my, um, my ladies out there, my, my AFABs check your, check your necks for lumps and stuff. Um, the same way that you would check your boobies because thyroid cancer, um, is a very common cancer, especially among the femmes. That's my PSA for today. Always a good reminder. Make sure you're you're putting your health first. And that's one of the reasons that we haven't been on for a while because we wanted to give Katie a plenty of space for, for her healing. And I needed plenty of space to do everything else that I was doing. So <laughs> number yeah. one thing uh, when it comes to the slumber party is self-care comes first. So if we're off for a while, never fear. Uh, it just means that we're prioritizing our own our own sanity and our own health. Yeah. Cause this is still largely a hobby and not our full-time jobs. Uh, maybe one day, but we'll see, but all that. So I think everyone's caught up now. Kate, do you want to tell us what movie we're talking about? This yes. Week? Well, so because we have now entered sort of, uh, I guess, cause this is coming out. Yeah. Last Monday of January. So we're, we're heading into, uh, February, which number one, black history month. Woo. Um, but just remember that, uh, black history should be celebrated throughout the year and that it really sucks that black history month is also the shortest month of the year. Um, second is that Valentine's day is in the month of February. And so Katie and I have decided that we are going to do just a series of our, our favorite rom-coms for which Katie has a much longer list than me, admittedly. Yeah, probably. I, 
I definitely like romance books more than I like romantic movies, but Ooh, I <laughs> yeah. can't wait to unpack that. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the books have nudity in them. <laughs> in is my, in well, my it imagination. What movies you're watching, but yeah. True. Uh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, love it or hate it. Uh, Valentine's Day is, is, you know, quickly descending upon us i'm sure you you know y'all go to stores you've seen you've seen the decor the candy oh yeah well and and maybe we'll wait until we get to the episode uh before valentine's day which will be our february 13th episode but any good plans yet katie well hearkening back to um what our last episode that we did uh princess bride i think yes yeah yeah, Kyle and I will uh, be doing, I think, our annual Princess Bride at the Music Box. So if you're in Chicago, check that out. It's a fun event. But yeah, I think I think other than that, that's it. That's um, fabulous. Well, and that actually kind of reminds me, um, brings us to what movie we're talking about uh, today, actually, um, because we do have a number of independent movie theaters here in Chicago that we love to frequent. And one of them is the uh, Logan Theater up in Logan Square. And they are showing the movie we're talking about today. Today, um, They are going to be showing it at midnight um, or at least 11 p.m. on Valentine's <laughs> Day. And that movie is Moonstruck. I love this movie. I, it's like, I've never, I didn't expect to like it as much when I first saw it, I think in college, but there's just, I am not a modern romance, like rom-com fan by any means. This movie is just one of my favorites. I think it might be one of my favorite movies, period. It's so good. It's such an interesting movie. Definitely one that like, I, I don't know if you had this, but like my mom and like, grandmother and like aunt and everyone in my family like loved this movie forever and ever and I definitely remember seeing the VHS on everyone's uh, movie shelves and I just I can't even think of the, the first time or when I finally watched it it was just one of those things that was always recommended to me by my family and it took me a while to like actually get around to I, I think I was definitely older I was in my 20s Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I was probably 19 or 20 um, when I first saw it, which I mean, I like I said, I went into it very jaded. I was like, eh, it's an 80s rom-com. I've seen a couple and I didn't like them. So let's see what, what makes this one so different. First off, it's uh, the performances are all incredible. Second, the director has directed so many other movies that I love that it was kind of like a no brainer in the end. <laughs> I wouldn't even, I don't even know if I'd necessarily call this like a rom-com. I think it's like very dramedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it gets pretty deep. Yeah. But it's like dramatic in a funny way. Yeah. Well, so like for, for our listeners, if you haven't seen the movie in a long time or you're listening, you've never seen the movie and you don't mind spoilers. The story is about a woman. She's 37 years old. She's played by Cher and she, uh, her name's Loretta Cam Camareri. And uh, she ends up, she gets uh, engaged to this guy who's got to go to Italy because his mom's dying. And so he leaves and he tells her, you got to go find my brother because you need to get him to come to the wedding. And he and his brother have not spoken in years. And she goes and meets his brother and almost immediately falls in love with, with his brother. And so it's a, you know, that's the, the rom-com situation that we find ourselves in. But there's a lot of other couples that are, you know, around her, like her parents, her parents, friends, who are all going through their own little romantic situations uh, from just the, the sublime, we're getting older and we you know, still love each other to uh, one character, her father, who's having an affair with someone uh, and her mother who goes out and almost has an affair with someone. Um, and so there's lots of, like you said, I think it, there's definitely a dramedy aspect to it because it's not all ha-ha and happy, um, but I almost it's almost like a dark comedy. Yeah, it's sort of like comedy in the way that like Shakespeare used to write comedies. <laughs> mm -hmm. It does sort of have that Shakespearean aspect to it. It does. That's a really good way of putting it. You get yeah. that ensemble comedy with lots of different people. So yeah, so Cher plays Loretta uh, Castorini. Um, she gets engaged to Johnny Camareri, who is played by Danny Aiello, who you might remember as the pizza place owner in Do the Right Thing. And his brother that she falls in love with is a uh, very new to the business, Nicolas Cage. Uh, Nicolas Cage and his most Nicolas Cageiest. I don't think I could 
agree with you on that, actually. You, you don't think so? I Well, I don't know. What do we want to define as Nicholas Cageiest? I mean, like... I think when, you know, he's being just a little unhinged and he's maybe in a different movie than everyone else is. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, do, I still, I'm, uh, you know, yeah. See, it's hard because now he's such a, in some movies, he's extremely, he reminds you why he's like a great actor. In other movies, he's very much a caricature of himself. I say the Nicholas Cageist, but I I don't say it as a derogatory statement. I think, you know, he did amazing. I couldn't see anyone else in the role. I was reading about how, you know, some other actors were being considered for his role and, you know, Cher really fought for him and said, like, no, this is this is Ronnie. Yeah, I read that, too. I thought that was real interesting how I didn't realize she went to bat for him as much as she did and it yeah. paid off. I mean, he, the, the movie was up for a number of Oscars. It was up for best picture. I believe, let me just double check that. Yes. It was up for best picture. It was up for best actor in a supporting role for Vincent Gardenia, who plays her father, um, best director. And then ended up winning best actress in a leading role. That was Cher, um, mm-hmm. best actress in a supporting role. That's Olympia Dukakis who plays her mother. So beautifully, even though Olympia Dukakis was only 15 years older than Cher at this time Mm -hmm. uh, and best screenplay written directly for the screen. And one of the I think one of the interesting things about the movie about, you know, Cher's character and um, her mother, like you said, Olympia Dukakis, they're pretty cynical about love. Oh, Um, yeah. Like like Loretta gets comes home and tells her parents that she's because she's engaged to. Danny Aiello's character and her mother asked, do you love him? And she says, no. Her mom says, do you like him? And she's like, yeah. Yeah. So we learned that like Cher's character was married when she was younger. She was married when she was like 28, um, which uh, funny thing that I caught when I was watching some clips earlier, she, she makes a comment about like getting, you know, women are supposed to get married when they're younger. I waited until I was 28 and I was like, Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> okay. So she's married at 28 to this guy that she really, really loved. And he dies two years later, he gets hit by a bus in an accident and dies. So now she's, I think she, it's like 10 years. She's supposed to be like 38. She's getting married to a guy now that maybe she's not like head over heels in love with, but she likes, she knows that she'll have like a comfortable marriage. She's sort of fulfilling like a social expectation of like an Italian woman or any woman for that time, which, and kind of still let's be Mm -hmm. fucking honest that, you know, a girl is supposed to get married. So yeah. And she thinks like, that's fine. Like I, I had love now I'm doing this instead. That's totally nothing wrong with that. But there's also like an extra level to it where like at the beginning, you know, she sees her fiance off on the plane and there's an old lady standing next to her. Who's, so you have someone on that plane that you love? And she said, yes. And she, the old woman's like, I put a curse on that plane. My sister's on that plane. And so, oh, yeah, which is such a weird and kind of half. Um, but, you know, Cher said, you know, um, Loretta says, I'm not superstitious. But meanwhile, most of the reason she's trying, she's good with this wedding is on the condition that she gets to have it in a church. She gets to have a reception. Her father's going to pay for it because she's convinced that the reason her other marriage, her husband got hit by a bus was because they went to the city hall and they didn't do it properly. Yeah, she so like they her family, they believe in luck, but they're not necessarily they wouldn't call themselves superstitious. Right. I think there's a fine line, but I guess I can sort of see the distinction. (laughs) I also kept thinking when she was talking about like, oh, I just, you know, went to the courthouse and got married and did this and that. I was like, well, we talk about our wedding a lot, Kyle and I do, and how we really just would rather go to the courthouse and then have a reception. (laughs) I'm like, well, that's fine. (laughs) Well, you're not coming from a very Italian probably Italian Catholic, you know, background. Right. So yeah, neither one of those going back to the cynicism thing, Kate, I would, I would make the judgment as your friend and someone who knows you that maybe you like this 
rom-com a little bit more than others is because of the cynicism factor or am I totally off? No, I think you're definitely right because the, the cynicism though, what I like about it in this movie is that it's not, it's not added there to be like, ha ha, see, we took a woman who's a cynic and we gave her someone who's going to love her, you know, and, and change her mind. She's still pretty cynical throughout the whole thing. And it's not, and I also think that they, the way that they develop Loretta's character, she has so much more of a story and she has a reason to be cynical as opposed to, oh, she's just, you know, bitter 37 year old woman who's not married, which is, I think, where a lot of, especially male screenwriters, uh, get mucked down in when they're writing cynical women in romantic films. Yeah. And she's not necessarily like cynical in like a defeatist way, but like in a practical way. Yeah. Yeah. She's very much a realist. It's like one of those things where like her, you know, her fiance is like good on paper. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Even though like from that very first scene with the two of them, it's like, oh, like he's just, there's no spark. (laughs) Like what's she doing? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like, and then we see, and it's almost the cynicism is almost like a survival tactic. Where, like, if I can remain cynical, then I can keep my feet on the ground. And quite literally, she gets swept off her feet by <laughs> by Ronnie pretty quickly. But yeah. um, it's the same thing as her mother, though. Her mom's also using cynicism as sort of a, a shield or a protectant against a husband who's been dallying. Yeah, who's kind of going through, like, a little bit of a midlife crisis, which is sort of a big theme that the movie brings up and like Olympia Dukakis's part of the story brings up is that men chase women because they fear death An interesting philosophy. And honestly, like I'm still trying as many times as I've seen the movie now wrap my head around that point, because my thought, I guess, I, I don't know. My thought is when men in particular, I guess, you know, cheat, have extramarital affairs, yada, 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 is because there's definitely some immaturity there. There's some insecurity going on there. I don't necessarily think that they are scared of their own uh, mortality, especially if it's a younger guy. I mean, I definitely see it in the case of like an older man, like he's trying to recapture the excitement of his youth. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I'm I'm now making a connection that we're you now we're talking about this. Uh, a little bit of a, a light bulb just went off. So one of my absolute favorite movies of all time is the Philadelphia Story, which is um, Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, and uh, Jimmy Stewart. And there's, I love that movie, but I also recognize there are some things that make me unhappy about it. Um, <laughs> and one of those is that as this woman, Tracy Lord, not the porn star, the character in the movie, as she's preparing to get married, her father comes back into the picture after having left the family to go and have an affair with a dancer. And there's a conversation she has with him where he pretty much tells her that the reason he went and did it was because she's a cold hearted bitch. And that men need warmth from their daughters. Damn that. Yeah. That that's not like, there's like that. There's a couple other things in the movie where like, I still love that film. I will always love that film, but that's like one of those things where it's like, okay, well that was a bit of a product of its time, I guess. Um, And maybe that's the same case with Moonstruck where it's like, yes, men are chasing their youth and they're chasing, you know, immortality in that. And maybe that's, maybe that's the 1987 version of, my daughter wasn't nice to me. That also reminds me, that makes me think of a line from uh, the movie slash play Closer. Did you ever see that? Mm, like, no, but it's on my list. Ooh, that is honestly, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I, in spite of everything the movie is, like once you'll see it, you'll be surprised that I would say that that's one of my favorite movies. But there's a line, there's sort of like the tagline for the movie was, if you believe in love at first sight, you never stop looking like that's very much like Jude Law's character in that story is like, it's very clear that he craves the chase, the drama, the, you know, I guess guys in particular, sorry guys, we're really going ham on you today, but you know, fuck it. (laughs) Next episode, we'll talk about why women cheat. (laughs) They always just need like, even when guys say they don't like, 
you know, the drama or they like to be drunk. And that's not fucking true. Like, <laughs> first of all, anyone that says out loud the phrase, like, I really just don't like drama. Yes, you absolutely do. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just get in different places. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you should see that movie, though. It's very good. Although the way you're describing Jude Law, it sounds like his role in Alfie. <laughs> I've, see, I've never seen that movie. Oh, OK. It also might just be a little bit of Jude Law in real life. <laughs> It might just be too long. He gravitates towards roles where he just really feels a connection with the character. Yeah. No, it's like, it's definitely, a, it's a very good movie. I think it's one of those like movies where you get to see all points of view of the characters and you don't, you aren't necessarily meant to root for anyone. Mm-hmm. Which, which again, these are all things that I, that don't normally attract me to a story, but Maybe it's because I saw that movie during what I would call my own cynical period of my life, which was my late teens, very early 20s, where I I guess I was trying on uh, cynicism like a jumpsuit and trying to see if it fit. And it felt like that was the thing to do was to be a very cynical person. Yeah, um, I mean, it looked good on you when you were standing up, but the minute you sat down, it bunched around your waist and you didn't like it anymore. Yeah, exactly. And then I That's realized been my I experience have to get... with jumpsuits. So I figured <laughs> that it might work. Yeah. And then like you realize you have to get totally naked to pee. It's more work than it's worth to like keep it up. <laughs> yeah, I go yeah. and buy special underwear and a special bra for it. And all of a sudden it just becomes way too much effort. Yeah. Yeah. That was sort of my journey with cynicism. But like, yeah, I think I saw that movie like when I, you know, when it came out. So like 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just hit my like, yeah, this is what it's like. Love is never real. It'll just break you. And like, da, 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 da. <laughs> that was. And yeah. Was... And, you, and you don't root for You said that you find it's hard to root for any of the characters in it. Yeah, I don't think you're really meant to. And yet, meanwhile, with like Moonstruck. OK, her father's a bit of a heel and you might not like her fiance very much, but her fiance is not a bad guy. He's just a, kind of a yawn in person form. Yeah. But everyone else, it's like, I don't know. I'm court, like, I, I rooted for absolutely everybody else in the movie. Like, even down a little bit to Perry, who's John Malo- Mahoney's character. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> like, even down to him, where it's like, ah, I don't want to like you, but you're also the dad in Frasier. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he sort of got that. He became the dad in Frasier because of, you know, this role and getting more attention in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he'd been in actually, he had been in another movie with Cher not too long before, but yeah, exactly. He, he, this sort of put him on the, the radar of those casting directors. So, yeah. And then he was in another one of my sort of favorite rom com, like dramedy movies, The Broken Hearts Club. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet either. Very underrated movie. I know my friend Brandon is listening to this podcast right now and he's probably like one freaking out that we said his name and then two talking about Broken Hearts Club because I think he's probably the person that introduced me to that movie. But it's basically about this like group of gay friends and kind of their trials and tribulations trying to find love. Oh, nice. I'll have to check that one out. Maybe we can uh, watch that one and do a special episode this upcoming month on that. Yeah, it's got like a it's got like a stacked cast. It's like it's John Mahoney, Timothy Olympathy, <laughs> Timothy Oliphant. Uh, <laughs> I was I was like, who? <laughs> um, I will never not call him Timothy Olympathy. Maybe not to his face. <laughs> if I ever met him, <laughs> I can't imagine that situation coming up. Timothy Oliphant, Zach Braff, Justin Theroux. Um, That's a yeah. lot of straight guys in the movie about gay men. It is. It was made in like the 90s. Well, that would explain. Late 90s, but it is still a very good movie. I'll have to go check that one out. Sure, yeah. But yeah, back to Moonstruck. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie is also incredibly quotable. And also, by the way, if you are not, if you're listening to this episode still and you have not seen this movie, you've definitely seen this one very particular bit of the movie when... Um, Cher slaps Nicolas Cage and says, snap out of it. Yeah, well, what's important to know is what she, why she does that, which is he tells her that he loves her. Yeah. And she smacks him in the face and says, snap out of it. 
they she she smacks him not once but twice they never really showed the double slap yeah they always cut too early but yes you're right but yeah this is like an incredibly quotable movie there's so many like good quotes and sort of like philosophy sort of like quotes what would you call that well just you know there's some monologues that sort of just Mm-hmm. So it's very much one of those movies that if you like films that are really based on characters having conversations, it's this. And it's very like I one thing I was looking at when I was looking at trivia and doing some research is I was trying to figure out if it was actually like originally a play, because as I was yeah. watching it, it, the way it's staged, the way that like conversations and scenes happen, it seems very stage play. From what I could tell, it's not, it wasn't originally a play, um, but the director did purposefully stage everything and like sort of over rehearsed every scene like it was a stage play. Yeah. In fact, he got in trouble with the union because there's one day they're preparing for the the final scene that happens in the kitchen, the big climax scene where Loretta decides to marry Ronnie instead of his brother. And uh, I guess the actors had to skip lunch that day because um, they wanted them to be in the right emotional space to do the scene. And so mm-hmm. the union actually got pissed off at Norman Jewison, who was the director, because he he denied them their lunch break, which Katie and I are very pro-union. We definitely believe in workers' rights and that people should be treated fairly and re- represented. That yeah. I don't know about. Like, uh it worked out so well yeah i think it depends on if everyone was you know on board and they were like no we're artists and we're here and we agree with that decision you know i'm sure i'm sure they were i mean i have a hard time believing being in that that setting that they weren't but who knows you know um but one of the interesting things so norman jewison like i said he's done a lot of movies that i love there's a movie he did called in the heat of the night with uh sydney potier um, mm-hmm. that was uh, really, it was the late 60s, I believe, when it came out about a Black detective who goes to a Southern town to investigate a murder. And uh, very powerful, very powerful film. Um, so cool. he made that one. Yeah, that one, uh, that is where They Call Me Mr. Tibbs comes from. That's where that line is oh, from. Oh, okay. Um, back to Back, Norman Jewison also made Fiddler on the Roof, the film as well as Jesus Christ Superstar, the film. So he does have a theatrical, he he takes on projects that have a theatrical um, side to them. So that might be another reason why it it comes back in this. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. You also read my mind because I was going to say what other films had he made because you mentioned enjoying him. So I was curious. Oh, yeah, I see like he did Dinner with Friends, which I know is a stage play. Agnes he did God. The, the Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah. So he's he's behind a lot of ones. And then like some of his oh, earlier shit. Stuff he did is... the original rollerball. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a very much a, a well-known uh director who who handled this one. But um, so yeah, so I think that that's I like I like films that we've talked about this, like Mad Max Fury Road. I love that movie. That's also up there in my top favorite movies. There are 54 lines total in that entire movie, including Tom Hardy's grunts. Not many, not much dialogue whatsoever. And then on the flip side, I also just absolutely love movies like these where the script is just so meaty and so perfect. And like, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, Loretta comes in, she says, I'm going to marry, I'm going to get married. Her mother asked, do you love him? And she said, no. And her mother says, good. Because if you did, he'd know it and he'd drive you crazy. Then later yeah, but on, then that, I was going to say that mirrors that mirrors the, the towards end. the end where she asked Loretta, "Do you love him?" about Ronnie, and Loretta goes, "Something awful, mom." She said, "Oh, that's too bad." <laughs> yeah, ma, I love him something awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved that. I love that line. My favorite, I think. Yeah, my favorite scene of the whole movie, and this was my favorite scene because I got to show this to. I got to show this movie to Kyle and Cody for the first time a few years ago. They had never seen it and they are Nick Cage fans. You know, we got to the scene where Nick Cage has his big monologue about why he and his brother have bad blood between them. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite fucking scene. I love it so much. I can't imagine 
any other actor doing what Nicolas Cage did in this scene um, with how fucking dramatic he is in this. I You see it throughout the whole movie, but like definitely in this scene, you learn that John or sorry, not Johnny, Ronnie is Loretta's opposite in every way. Like mm-hmm. he is not thinking with his head at all. He is going on just feeling moment to moment. But he, you know, explains that he was engaged to a girl and during an ill-fated conversation that he was having with his brother while working at their, you know, bakery, he put his hand into a meat slicer, looked the wrong way, was not following, you know, OSHA guidelines and such. (laughs) And the meat slicer cut off his most of his hand, like mangled his hand. So now he's got this fake wooden hand. And because of this, his fiance at the time broke up with him, left him for another man. So that's why he hates his brother and doesn't talk to him anymore because it ruined his life. And (laughs) Loretta very succinctly is just like, well, that's not his fault. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know that I was actually going to ask you during the podcast tonight. Is it Johnny's fault? Because I, I also, I agree. That whole scene with Ronnie, he's like, yeah, I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has, Johnny his, has bride. his bride. Like, I have the same thing. I would just be staring at this dude. Like, I don't know if I would have the balls to say to somebody, like, um, your tragedy is stupid. Like, pick another <laughs> one. But yeah, it's like, I, I, <laughs> The funny part of it, she calls him out and he says like something like I, I like I didn't claim to be like a pillar of justice or something like that. And it's like so he's even aware that he's being like a little fucking drama queen. Um, yeah, but he doesn't care. But yeah, so back to showing this movie to Kyle and Cody for the first time. We're watching this scene and there's a part where. Nicholas Cage is yelling to this girl who's like, you know, another bakery worker who works, you know, the front uh, counter. And he's like, Chrissy, bring me the big knife. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, no, no, Ronnie. Yeah. And then later on, I won't she do like, it. <laughs> and then doesn't she admit to like pretty much no one that she just, everyone's out of the scene. It's just her and some other bakery worker who just standing there and she just goes, I love him. I love him, but he'll never love me. Not since after what happened. Yeah. She goes, I love that man, but I've never <laughs> told him. He could but never love anybody. Not after losing his hand and his girl. Like something. Yeah. <laughs> That's her voice. So I love that yep. man. Yep. And then she has to go up and work in the bakery and, and serve uh, Martin Scorsese's parents who have a cameo because they're the customers of the bakery at that point. Oh, dang. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's funny. And yeah, you get I- you get that overly dramatic scene with Nick, like with with Ronnie, right? And it's just like, oh wow, this guy is so far around the bend. But then he also delivers like one of the best monologues in the movie, where he's talking about how people are not perfect and they're meant to ruin themselves. And I think that's where like my cynicist heart just kind of like I think that's why I love is like you can be a cynic, but you can do it in a lovely, growth minded way. Like life sucks, but that's the point. <laughs> it's yeah, it's meant to be messy. It's not meant to be perfect. I Yeah, I always think about that. Like, like, it, I guess it sounds like, I don't know, fucked up depending on what the context is. But, you know, bad things happen and good things happen and there's always balance and good moments wouldn't be as amazing if there weren't bad moments. And yeah, it's very easy to say that, like when you're in a good moment. But I don't know. That's kind of my life philosophy. Well, that's what my therapist keeps telling me and reminding me. Like, remember, <laughs> life is a dialectic. It's just, you got to have the good to have the bad. I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah. I'm going to uh, go watch Moonstruck and get the same kind of messaging and probably believe it better. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe believe it in this context when uh, Nicolas Cage is serving it up to you in like a crazy, uh, like Italian way <laughs> with some bread and meatballs and opera <laughs> well my favorite is that she just like goes into his kitchen the first time she meets him she goes into his kitchen and cooks him a steak like oh yeah so good <laughs> she looks at him she's like yeah you need some iron uh one of the things i really love about this movie too is so it takes place in new york and brooklyn and 
it's like one of those, like so many movies do this because I guess it's just the nature of New York city, but like just creating all these little like magical worlds that exist within New York. Like what you see in this movie is just this like magical little like Italian community that sort of exists within this bubble of New York where like everyone knows each other. Your regulars at this restaurant, they, the wait staff knows you by name. Like everybody understands each other's like culture and language. And, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me. I don't know if like, you know, not like, as I'm saying it now that I'm thinking it, um, cause I know Chicago is kind of like this where there are like, you know, all different neighborhoods that are sort of, you can see the different cultural influences. Like my neighborhood has like very Swedish cultural influences, but I have to like wonder, it's like, I guess maybe at those times, sort of like mid century different, different, I guess like ethnic groups were more, I don't know, segregated, sort of like zoned off, like within their own little spots. Whereas now everyone's kind of like fanned out. Yeah. But I mean, like the evidence remains right here in Chicago, we've got Greek town, we've got little Italy, we've got little Vietnam, we've got Chinatown, you know? So I think that there's still evidence of it. Oh, Ukrainian village. You know, that's another neighborhood we have. And so like, there's still definitely like, I think there's still leftovers. It might not be the same. Um, because I think that a lot of, apart from things like, I know that especially earlier in 2022, Ukrainian village, a couple of my friends live out there and they would talk about the, um, demonstrations in the evening in support of Ukraine. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that there are still places, um, where that is, you know, very much the case, um, because I mean, immigration has not stopped. I mean, we, we, back to, you know, it might not be as concentrated as like, you know, what 1987 New York had, but especially in cases of, you know, Ukraine, Vietnam, um, Chinatown, um, I think that those are definitely areas where there's still very highly community, you know, a very concentrated community. Yeah. And concentrated. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Um, but then there's like Greek town, which I mean, like it's a whole bunch of Greek restaurants, but I'm not sure how much, of a Greek population still lives there. Maybe a lot. I just haven't been over there. And I know that it's like kind of in the middle of West Loop, which has gotten more and more gentrified every minute. Yeah. Lots of, uh, lots of good food, but it's all sort of like <laughs> fusion restaurants, not really, you know, straight <laughs> from the source, but that's, that's a whole conversation. I will yeah, say though, if we're talking about food, this movie definitely delivers because you can smell the bakery when she goes in. You can oh, just, yeah. oh, the, the Italian restaurants that they all dine in. Oh my goodness. This is, this is one of those food movies. It's like the big night. If you've ever seen that one, oh, never <laughs> watch it without some pasta in the house. I haven't, but that's good to know. I'm glad I just ate dinner, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, it's really cool how it's just in this like magical Italian American world that exists within the borough of Brooklyn. It just adds to really the whole fairy tale aspect of the whole movie. I think it's a really interesting take you've got that this is a fairy tale. I mean, like I maybe not fairy tale, but sort of like it's a little bit fantastical because you're dealing with things like luck and curses and superstition and love and, Mm -hmm. you know, like different characters going through like sort of their own journeys. And yeah, there's a lot to me that's like it's sort of like modern fantasy a little bit Mm -hmm. like none of these people, like none of them talk the way that anyone speaks, I think in real life, like not when it comes to like the monologuing about like love and their philosophies about love. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Well, and also you get the princess makeover in this. Yes. I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about that. We get a, she's all that moment before she's all that was a thing. Yeah, because I think part of it, uh, part of Loretta's story, too, is that, you know, she's 38 years old, which is just like a couple of years older than I am. And she's sort of, you know, you see she's got gray in her hair. She sort of dresses like an older woman. Like, it, <laughs> it's almost like she's she doesn't realize that she's still in her youth, that she still has things to experience. She's really just, I don't know, resigned herself away. Part of it might be because she's got you know, Johnny in her life and she doesn't really have to do very much 
not have to, but she doesn't feel like she wants to do very much to impress him or, you know, show up and, and, and partake in all of the different things that women do. And I think it's interesting because it's like, you know, there's the Beyonce song that's like, you know, crazy in love where she's singing about don't need a new dress because she's just so in love. It doesn't even matter. And yet, you know, like in this one, like she finds, you know, in, in Moonstruck, uh, Loretta finds Ronnie and she goes out and she decides, you know, no, I'm, I'm going to go and pamper myself and show up and just, you know, be more than just natural unpolished me yeah yeah she goes and she gets her hair done and she wears a sort of revealing outfit and that's brand new and nice and does her makeup and yeah it's almost like she treats herself because she's like hey I found someone that I feel comfortable treating myself for yeah that makes me I want to feel how they're making me feel on the inside on the outside yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, like I've had experiences where I've like started dating somebody and just been really like, okay, I really like this person and gone and done, you know, gone out and, and bought something new or gone out and, you know, gotten my hair re highlighted or something where it is like, it's like, okay, you know, let's, I like that. May, they make me feel so good on the inside. Let's make sure the exterior matches. Yeah, I think that's the difference between like that and say like, oh, I feel like I have to look hot for this person all the time because if I don't, they will they no will longer leave. be. Yeah, they right. will be interested in me. Well, and, and Ronnie never puts that out there, right? I mean, like he never like makes those demands on her, but he also cleans up like he cleans up to go to the opera. He's not the same sweaty baker boy that we see. No, he's looking nice. They both mm-hmm. are. And the nice thing too is like all of their connection, you know, happens before her, you know, she's all that moment. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm... When they go to the opera. And of course the drama happens when she sees her father and his date. Yeah. And she's sort of feeling like, obviously she's like, holy shit, you're out with a woman who's not my mother. Like she's mad at him about that and, you know, thinking horrible things, but then she's also sort of, feeling guilt herself because she's like I'm out with a man and have slept with a man who is not my you know future husband who's not who I'm engaged to like I'm not any better right now at this moment Um, yeah I mean she even goes to uh, confession and she tells the the priest that she's taken the Lord's name in vain a couple of times she slept with her fiance's brother and she accidentally bounced a check but that wasn't her fault yeah she sort of just like uh layers it she sneaks the really bad one, quote unquote, in with the other kind of smaller sins, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the priest is like, well, that third one's not a problem because it was an accident. But go back to the second one. Yeah. Let's talk about that one more. Man, if I was a priest, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm good at keeping secrets, but I'm also Southern and I really like gossip. I mean, the excuse always is like with Kyle, I just you know, he's my partner, so I can just tell him everything. And I just be like, well, you know, listen, listen to the things I heard in confession today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll never believe what was. So, oh, I think that I would be probably pretty good at not telling people right away. I think I would like have like a, a three month grace period between you telling me something in that confessional booth and me telling someone, oh, you know, one time I had this confessor tell me X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. Like, listen to the craziest thing, the craziest shit I heard in <laughs> confession. Like, people really share. I guess that's why I always liked uh, being Protestant, because I was like, I can keep this stuff between me and God, and God already established that he's not going to judge me, so... Yeah, we like, um, Katie, why are you up until three o'clock in the morning reading gay fan fiction? I'm like, well, God... You know, you're not allowed to judge me. And he'll be like, I got you there. Or you got me there. (laughs) God, that is not in the Bible is something I shouldn't do. What are you trying to tell me? Yeah. Also, where did in the Ten Commandments say that thou shalt not stay up till three o'clock in the morning reading gay fan fiction? (laughs) I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah, my first. Well, so I grew up Catholic. And so, yes, uh, uh, we definitely did have confession. But 
I lucked out because in fourth grade, because I was in a Catholic school, fourth grade, part of the curriculum was getting ready for your first reconciliation, which is your first time going to confession to talk to the priest. And that actually, I think, might be the best part about being a priest is being the confess, you know, doing confessions for nine-year-olds. Can you oh believe my God. the shit they would bring in? So like, yeah, I was going to say, what would you possibly say at nine that like, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, I was mean to my sister, you know, like it would be yeah. that kind of thing, but like that would have to be like the best part of the whole thing. Now I lucked out because our first, uh, reconciliation we had, I think it was, it was our small little fourth grade class, but then there was like outside religious ed class that also was with us. And they decided there were too many kids and then we were like a priest short. So they decided we would just bow our heads, think about what we did wrong and we'd be automatically forgiven by the priest. Okay. Yeah. Just sort of blanket. Skip the step. Yep. Just, yeah. just a communal. Think about what you did wrong. Okay. I'll say 10 Hail Mary, three our fathers. You'll be forgiven. Okay. It was like really kind of the shortcut. I really didn't have a first reconciliation. Now that I think about it. Did you, did you, um, like, I, I guess maybe you didn't know that going in, had you like sort of planned in your head, like, okay, this is what I'm going to say. Or like, did you have sins in your, your little nine-year-old brain that you were ready to confess? Um, I'm pretty sure I did. I probably had something about not being nice to my sister, quite honestly, you know, <laughs> or like I colored, you know, my sister's favorite page in the coloring book and didn't let her do it or something. I, it's, it's been a while. <laughs> I, I feel like all of my nine-year-old sons probably would have been like, yeah, I talked back to my mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you have a little, like when you have a younger sibling, or any sibling, but really a younger sibling, like confession gets really easy. Cause you just got to think of like something that you did wrong, like with them and then you're good. And then you're covered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny that like, you have to go confession, like with a sin, because it's like, if you're just like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah. It's like, they are like, Oh no, you're not. No one's good. Are you sure? <laughs> so yeah. So, um, yeah. And I think there were a couple of times where we were compelled to go to confession, like in, in Lent or whatnot. But yeah, I, I think I've had confession with a priest maybe twice in my life. And I was in single digit age at that time. And that's another thing in the movie um, towards the end when Olympia Dukakis confronts her husband about his affair, his extramarital affair. She tells him it's not even like a big drag out fight. It's a very like calm discussion. And she says, I want you to stop seeing her and I want you to go to confession. Mm -hmm. And he just, he kind of, he stands up, he has like a little bit of an outburst and then sits and is just like, okay. And then they tell each other that they love each other. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was reading, they tell each other specifically, they say te amo to one another. And that is specific in Italian is specifically romantic love. It's not, you know, mm -hmm. friendly love or platonic love or familial love. It is specifically romantic. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, uh, I don't know. It's a nice moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I read today too, that there was, I guess, some thought that they were going to continue on with the story and have like a subplot where Loretta and her father are both told by the priest, they have to volunteer at a, a shelter, I think in, in repentance for their sins. And they decide just to, to drop that. They're like, eh, it doesn't really add anything to the story. But yeah, I think that the interesting thing is that seeing this film, and maybe we don't have enough time in the episode to really dive into this, but like in the end, it's sort of seen as that, that strength of the family that Loretta's parents stick together, even after her father has stepped out. And so, and that was 1987. So there's a bit of a time, you know, experience there. But I mean, it's, you know, we go into the 90s, we even go into like the 2000. Unfortunately, the 2014-2015 election cycle before 2016, and there are people that are looking at Hillary Clinton going, why didn't you leave your husband after what he did? I but mean, they're also the ones that swoon at the end of Moonstruck. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, Maybe they hate Moonstruck because of this. I always say no one knows what goes on side, goes on on the inside of a marriage other than the two people involved. And I think everything's different. I don't think there's like a blanket answer where it's like, oh, if someone steps out, you definitely leave them or, you know, what have you. I, I mm -hmm. think everything is different. 
Um, well, and we even get, you know, sort of a sense of that when, when Laura's mother has dinner with Perry, right. When he invites mm-hmm. her to come sit at his table and they have the conversation, he sort of tries to, in a, a moment of very minimal side character growth, you know, decides to make a pass at this woman who is age appropriate for him. Yeah. And- Cause that's kind of his thing. He's always date. We see him sort of in the background all the time at the restaurant with younger women. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even Loretta makes a point in the beginning after he's been walking, you know, in uh, splashed with a drink. Uh, she goes, ah, oh, she was too young for him. Um, and that's sort of where the conversation goes with, with Olympia Dukakis too. So like, she's got the experience that she knows that like she could, she could do the same thing. She had the opportunity. And I think that's just like that moment to demonstrate that. No, she loves Cosmo. She's going to stay with Cosmo. You can be a schmuck, but yeah, I'm sure it's nice to like prove to yourself that you are still desirable. Let me tell you from recent experience, it is. And also it's dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been been through those breakups where it's like, man, I need to get it back out there and prove to myself that I am still hot. But no, I think also like, I don't know, John Mahoney is kind of a dickhead. I was like, maybe she also like went back out there and was like, the dating pool sucks. (laughs) Yes. Not worth it. Yes. That might also be it where she's like, I have to compete with all of the young women. And, and what's left is these idiot dickheads. Exactly. Exactly. Where men my age don't even want people like me. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, he was kind of like, he seemed to have like no real morals or philosophies. Like he was pretty flippant guy. And, um, he didn't care that like Olympia Dukakis was married. Mm -hmm. No care in the world. He's, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to rewatch his scenes again, but I always know that like my takeaway was like, you're not a very good person out of all the people in this movie. I think you're definitely the one that I would say like, you're a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that I'm I'm still a little stuck just because I love the actor so much. Yeah. But I think that I also just appreciate that example he gives that it doesn't feel like he's part of the community, right? He's at the restaurant a lot, but it doesn't feel like he's part of the tight knit community. It's not, you know, that you see Loretta's parents having with their friends and, and, you know, the people in the neighborhood. So I think that provides a sort of outsider foil for all the rest of the characters. That's true. He doesn't know Bobo, the waiter. He's not, I know he doesn't even, he's not friends with Bobo the waiter, but yeah. Any, anything else? We well, we could to... keep talking about this movie for a long time. I just, I, I, it was such a, a surprise to me how much I love this film. I did not ever expect to put this movie because I'm, I'm also don't tell anybody, but I'm not a huge fan of Cher. So <laughs> this was oh like, I was also like, oh, now I'm a fan of Cher. But at the time I was seeing the movie, I was like, ah, I don't really care about Cher. I think it's because Burlesque had just come out. And I was like, well, that movie sucks, so. Oh, my God. Shut up. I love Burlesque. Fuck. (laughs) It's bad, but it's a good time. And I do not at all believe in Christina Aguilera as, like, the young ingenue. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, let's. Oh, can we do one more thing about this movie and the age gaps between characters? Yeah, but real quick, I want to know, is it, do you not, like, share as an actor or as a singer or both? Or I oh, guess you not act- care for her. Oh, uh, you know, I think at the beginning, I just, I was not well acquainted enough with her work apart from Do You Believe in Life After Love, which roller rink days had that on <laughs> loop in my head. But, you know, like, I think, and eventually now I'm like, oh no, Cher is, Cher is pretty cool. At the time, I think that I was just like, uh, you mean the Sonny Bone? Yeah, like Sharon Sonny person gotcha, gotcha. is in this. And so I didn't buy into this idea. Now I look back at, I'm like, now I under kind of understand. I see a lot of parallels between her career and Lady Gaga's when it comes to their talent, because I could see if I could see them making Moonstruck today, not as a remake, but they pretend they never made Moonstruck. I could see them making Moonstruck today and getting Lady Gaga to be in it. And it would have been like a life-changing thing for everybody. Kind of like how A Star is Born was for her and her career. Yeah. And like, uh, Gaga's, uh, it's uh, still Italian. So that works. Mm-hmm. Oh, it would have worked beautifully. Yeah. Um, House of yeah. Gucci. 
<laughs> oh man, I still need to see that movie. Oh, that was a great one to watch on an airplane. Well, I got a couple airplane trips coming up, so maybe I will. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just make sure they're more than three hours long because that movie is long. Oh shit. So, okay. So age gap. So you wanted to talk about age. So, gap. yeah. So I, I do, we always like to discuss age gaps uh, all the way back to when we were talking about the uh, actors in dirty dancing, but Danny Aiello and Nicholas cage who play brothers are 31 mm-hmm. years apart in age. Okay. And Nicholas cage himself is uh, 18 years younger than Cher. Okay. When they made this movie and Dang, I already mentioned baby he was a then. baby. He doesn't look like a baby. No, but he was a baby when they yeah. did this. Okay. Um, and uh, Beppo baby. Olympia, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As much as he doesn't want anyone to know, Nicolas Cage is a Nepo baby. And yeah, so then Olympia Dukakis is only about 15 years older than Cher. So there's some interesting age gaps. I mean, again, like we don't see older actresses getting paired with younger actors all that much. Usually it's the other way around. So I think that's yeah. just an interesting, you know, interesting flip. Yeah, I would have, I would have also assumed that Cher and Nick Cage were like closer in age at that point. Yeah, because he doesn't look like that much of a baby in that movie. How old no. was he in that movie? He was born in '64, so he was 23 when he made this. Okay, yeah, that's pretty baby. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, he was only 23, and truly, this was one of his first movies. I think uh, before this, he did Peggy Sue is Getting Married. But apart yeah. from that, he really, yeah, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, but he was Nicholas Coppola in that one. Was Valley Girl? Uh, he was a Valley Girl. Yep, that was 83. His first thing, he was in The Best of Times, which is a TV movie. But uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was his first uh, film in 82. And then uh, Peggy Sue Got Married was, I think, one of his first big, big, big movies. And then Moonstruck came slowly, you know, shortly after that. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I think he is just sort of a, no lines background character in fast times yeah so he was he was baby um and then of course uh Cher was in her late 30s so she actually plays a character who is her age which I think maybe that's another reason I love this movie because they're older <laughs> not Nicolas yeah. Cage obviously but like it is like it is that beautiful story about love like once you pass the age of 30 love can still happen and and it's not beat into you like oh she was an old maid no one would ever love her like we start off that someone loves her that's another thing everyone thinks you know love is for everyone who's like super young like I said before she says like you know you get married super young and I got married when I was 28 well, I think that this was a successful return to the slumber party. Thank you so much for, for joining me on this. Yeah, I'm so excited to be back and talking about movies. And I'm excited to do rom-coms for the month of February and maybe not get too lovey-dovey because I know not everybody fucking loves Valentine's Day. True. So I think that towards the end of this month, maybe on our, our February 13th episode, we should do another one kind of like what we did at Halloween where we just rapid fire talk about any and every rom-com that comes to mind um even even if it's a rom-com yeah romance palooza i think we do a romance palooza because like i i can be the biggest cynic and i might not really enjoy the typical rom-com but ooh, if you want to talk about screwball comedies from the 1940s which the number one rule of a screwball comedy is that there has to be a wedding in there somewhere then we could definitely talk. Man, I also not thinking about it. Uh, and again, you can cut this out if you want, because it's all that. I wish we could do like another live episode and just shit on the notebook the whole time. That would be fun. Let's <laughs> just, do it. Just wa- uh, watch the notebook and just like rip it to hell. <laughs> fuck i'm in cool well thank you guys um if you have come back to us thank you so so much for sticking by and being patient through our end of the year break for 2022 but we're back baby woohoo new year new movies so exciting new old movies new old movies well that's it for us don't forget to if you have not follow us on the twitter and the instagram we're at sp cinema club yeah and you can follow us there we put out polls during the weeks um especially i think this month we're gonna be doing a lot 
one question might be, is The Notebook a bad movie or a horrific movie? And you can respond with your thoughts. <laughs> and, and why then, is the answer yes? <laughs> why is the answer yes? Um, but yeah, we'll be we'll be over there uh, having lots of fun over in the Twitterverse and the Instagram world. So uh, make sure to follow us there. And uh, until next week, ooh, have ooh, a good and one, I, everyone. I definitely am going to post that um, Bring Me the Big Knife scene. So if you guys haven't seen that or want to yes. enjoy it again, it'll be on the, the twits. Yes. See you guys. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.